Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new bracket America. America. Soccer new. Featuring person Talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Soccer Noob Rockin' America, featuring my daughter and your greeter, Person Noob. Hello! She does a lot more than mere greeting. She'll be chiming in throughout the podcast, of course, on things footy and non-footy alike. And by the way, hello once again, second week in a row from the Isle of Sodor, where I have been hired on as the FA and uh, Premier League's only official international journalist this year. We're on that in a bit. Uh, by the way, I hope that explains the sound quality too. We're at a bed and breakfast here, kind of a makeshift studio. It's not providing probably the same quality you're used to, but hey, we're here and it'll improve in times as time goes on, hopefully. Uh, now for the overall show this particular week, as usual, we are going to mini preview matches from around the world from Friday the 7th through the 13th of October through Thursday. Which matches? Well, just the most intriguing matches anywhere on the globe. And that's as we define that criteria. Now, some are matches everybody's talking about. Many of them are not, but they're top matches where they're being played. And we're trying as noobs to learn the whole darn earth at once. Even if we choke on it, we love our footy. Now, as far as the Isle of Soda Premier League, a week and a half ago, they had their Super Cup festivities. The the two uh, teams, the reigning champions uh, from the FA Cup of Premier League from the only season they've ever had, 2018-2019 of national scope. They were supposed to play each other. They really didn't. There was some five-a-side stuff, but it turns out that that was actually the opening match on the real schedule as well. And as it turned out, uh, Brendan Harbour did what they could not do during the regular season. Brendan Harbour, your reigning, reigning FA Cup champions, uh, they whomped Little Village Dry FC 6-0 to kick things off. Uh, all the games uh, last week were match day one. Now, eventually, uh, we're going to have a more fully devoted se- uh, segment to the IOSPL here and for their FA Cup and everything else going on, even their championship division. And hopefully we'll have a website up uh, sooner rather than later. By the way, Soccer Noob USA is my Twitter contact for anybody interested uh, in running that particular end of things. Might be good for the old uh, curriculum vitae if you're looking at soccer stuff or just tech stuff in general. Until then, uh, I'll be posting a result and a complete table on Twitter. Again, Soccer Noob USA. Now, as for this coming week, don't really have a full preview for you yet. Uh, The season's obviously just getting going, and because it's been so long since we've gotten to see any of these teams, we really don't know what to expect. But I can tell you that the match I'm going to feature, I'm going to be heading to Lakeside for, uh, I'll say, number 12 from, quote-unquote, last year, the last time they played. They finished just in the second half of the table, Lakeside FC. They were playing 
uh, being playing host to uh, number seven from that year, East Coast Diesel. Uh, I say that with a little bit of a sneer because that's the closest thing I've learned to a truly aggressive uh, English or European style, truly competitive team on the Isle of Sodor, probably just because of the geographic proximity. I think the players and management and ownership from there, they really want to see the league get serious. Uh, you know, maybe join the county league system for England, even though they're not politically part of England, maybe even try to join FIFA. The rest of the aisle really isn't up for all that, but should be an exciting match. So we'll have an update on that and all the other matches for you both here on the podcast on, and on Twitter as the days and weeks roll along. But for now, let's get into tracking worldwide all the greatest matches for next week here with match number one. No Friday matches were quite bright or shiny enough to catch our attention for this particular week's top 10 to mini preview. Thusly, we start on Saturday. Match number one comes from the third division here in the United States, MLS Next Pro, the league for their reserve teams. For those who aren't familiar, the top four from each of the two conferences made the playoffs. They have wound their way through the playoffs, and this is your championship final. The reserve teams for the number one seed out of the East and playing host at Lower.com Field there in their hometown, Columbus Crew to the Cruisers. Versus number one from the West, St. Louis City 2, which is interesting because until next year, uh, there is no St. Louis City 1. So they're starting in a bit of an odd way, but that has not stopped them from getting into the final match. We'll talk about the home team as always first. And their sort of unofficial name is one that we really enjoy, Person Noob. Do you remember what it is? Yeah. The Capybaras. Oh, yeah. Do you remember what a Capybara is? Yeah. <laughs> How about anything more specific? Yeah. It's the world's largest rodent. So it's in the same family as like a guinea pig, but bigger and fluffier. Kind of looks like a, a little bit like a Scottish terrier in need of a haircut, but it's a little undergrown, at least in my opinion. You think that makes a good mascot? <laughs> Me too. Um, they advanced to the final uh, with a very dramatic win over Toronto's uh, reserve team, 4-3. It took added extra time for them to get there. In fact, they won the West title by 14 points over Toronto. So they apparently had a harder time uh, in the playoffs than overall defeating them in the regular season. Looking at the regular season stats, how were they so good? Well, they had the number one offense by a lot in their division, scoring two and a half goals per match. Number one defense to go with it. They were the only team giving up less than one goal per match on average. That, as you would expect, means they had the number one goal differential in the league by a factor of over six. That's just insane. They had the number one scorer in the league by quite a bit. Wonder well he'll, where he'll be off to potentially next. Scored 21 times in the regular season. That was Jason Russell Rowe, Canadian forward, just 20 years old. Uh, he even made four senior team apps this year for the Columbus crew proper, if you will. Tied for number one in the league for assists was Mohamed Farsi. He had 10 of those. Another Canadian. He plays right back, at least officially or most of the time. But boy, you're pressing upfield if you're getting that many assists. 22 years old. Also made four senior team appearances for Columbus and has also made two appearances both within the last year for the Canadian national team, not their senior team, but the under 23 side. Be interesting to see if he can move his way up in their system. And in terms of clean sheets, they had the second best goalkeeper on the year. He had seven of those. That was Patrick Schulte, another youngster, 21 years old. Team's current form, the Capybaras, they had won three straight, and they are unbeaten in their last nine. 
now coming to town and certainly not to pay their respects. That is St. Louis City. I almost said uh, Salt Lake because of the SLC abbreviation. Um, you know what their official mascot is, Person Noob? Yeah. They are known as the Pygmy Shrews. That is awesome. Yeah, do you know what a Pygmy Shrew is? A pig. No, it's, not, it's actually a rodent as well. But instead of being a great big giant rodent like the capybaras, the Pygmy Shrew is the smallest from that uh, branch of the animal kingdom. It's only the size of like one of your uh, little finger segments. So take a look at your little finger and imagine a shrew that big. I mean, that's not even a snack. Uh, no, you, th no. <laughs> you think they're edible? No. No, probably not. Uh, you, would also, you know what else isn't true besides the fact that they're not edible? No. It's not really their mascot, but I really, really want it to be. Make it their mascot. Okay, yeah, they're the St. Louis City Pygmy Shoes for our mascot. Uh, only a couple of inches long, not intimidating, but still here. Uh, they advanced to the final 2-1 over a team that I actually thought was going to meet uh, Columbus in the final from the very outset of the playoffs, Tacoma Defiance. They had the number one goal differential by a lot, even though they only had the second best seed. Nevertheless, here's here's St. Louis, uh, second best offense, uh, scoring just a little bit less than two goals per match. The defense, not quite as strong, but still top four, uh, tied for second best overall goal differential. They were part of a three-way tie for first place actually on points. The tiebreaker was not goal differential, but instead was total number of wins, and the Defiance got more of their points off lots of ties, hence the reason that they were only the second seed. Uh, tied for number four in assists on the league with seven on the year, probably St. Louis's best player, Akil Watts. Right back, another guy that plays back on defense but likes to push up, 22 years old. He came up with uh, both the Portland Timbers system and Mallorca over in Spain. And then more recently, he came over from Louisville City. Uh, team's current form, they won three straight matches heading into and as part of the playoffs. Match number B. You know what? It's so magical that I think it deserves maybe its own theme song. Shall we try it out? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. Number B, number B. It's the new number between one and three. And it means poopy if you don't say B. So say B or you will go poopy. I'm not sure that that's scientifically accurate, but yes, we want people to be more couth and replace that awful phrase. Number two. Ugh. In their daily lives, join us in a revolution. Listen to it in action. Match number B is our feature Major League Soccer match. It is the very end of the regular season and fighting for a playoff spot. Neither of these two is guaranteed one, but almost mathematically it has to be one of these two. Just trust us. From the Eastern Conference, number eight, Orlando City, playing host to number seven, Columbus Crew. Right now, the crew lead Orlando by just one. So, you know, a, a draw would probably do it, but we shall see. Orlando won when they played earlier this season on the road, nil two. Series between these two has also, I believe, gone Orlando's way, but not by a lot. I believe they got an 8-3-6 and six record in recent years. You can catch this iteration on FS1 or ESPN Plus at uh, 1.30 Eastern time here in the States. Orlando, uh, something I just learned, I'd like to look to see what teams they're affiliated with uh, a number of them in technical aspects throughout the world. Uh, Atletico Paranaense, one of the current best teams going in Brazil. Uh, Benfica over in Portugal, one of their big three. Stoke City, uh, second division team over in England. Wolfsburg from Germany's Bundesliga. They're all over the place. No wonder they're doing so well. And in fact, this year they won the FA Cup, or as they call it here, the U.S. Open Cup here in the States.
2020 was the best finish they ever had. They finished in fourth place in the regular season and made the quarterfinals. Last year, they finished sixth in the East, fell out of the playoffs in the first round. This year, to be perfectly honest, it's sort of a magical mystery how they are here to begin with. Because looking at them on paper, not that impressive. They only have the number 12 out of like 14 teams. Uh, the 12th best offense is all a one and a quarter goals per match. They give up over one and a half goals per match, which is still below average, if a little bit better in the ordinal rankings. And their overall goal differential, which I consider a key metric, uh, very negative. They're in 12th place in that regards as well. And yet only five teams in the conference had more wins. So when they, you know, they were losing instead of getting a lot of draws, but they were still very capable. Best player that they have going on the year, in our opinion, is Facundo Torres, their Uruguayan left winger, just 22 years old. Eight goals and eight assists on the year. You just love to see that. But if uh, Columbus can shut him down, by and large, you have shut Orlando down. And this is a guy with 10 national team appearances in his home country, so he is used to high-pressure play. Team's current form, they have overall not done well with the pressure of the regular season. They are o or excuse me, 1-0-4 in their last five and have lost two straight matches. Match number three. By the way, that was a Sunday match, and all the remainder of our weekend matches are Sunday ones. I'll let you know when we flip over to the weekdays. Match number three comes to us from Italy's Serie A, the top flight. That is the fourth-ranked league in all of UEFA, which means that they max out on the number of teams that get to go to international tournaments next year. They will start four teams in the Champions League group stage, one in the Europa League and one in the new uh, newish Europa Conference League, the new uh, tertiary tournament. Your matchup, number three, Udinese versus number B, Atalanta. Atalanta currently lead Udinese by one. The series between these two, I'm not really familiar with Udinese, so I was surprised to find it somewhat even. Uh, Atalanta is a little bit closer to being a traditional power, and they have a 10-9-6 record against their opponents today in recent years. You can see the battle on 8 o'clock in the morning on Paramount Plus, should you choose. Talk about Udinese first. I don't know why they're just not the zebras, but they are the little zebras. Do you think maybe there's a, uh, a pygmy shrew zebra out there, person noob? Maybe. Yeah, it feels unlikely. I'm not sure evolution has uh, decided to entertain us that much. But here's the hoping. Little zebras. They play out of the city of Udine, which is in the far northeast of the country, between the Adriatic Sea and the Alps. Lovely area. Uh, it's only a about, oh, I want to say 80 miles northeast of Venice, if that uh, helps a little bit geographically, a city of well over 100,000 people. Last time they won a league-related trophy of any kind, you've got to go back to 1978-79, and that was when they won the second division, Serie B. They did win something called the UEFA Intertoto, an international uh, cup. It was sort of a precursor to the Europa League. They won that in 2000. Last year, they only finished in 12th place in the league. This year, they have improved all the way around. They've got a top four offense, getting over two goals per match. Even more impressive, uh, the defense. Now, it's only ranked number six ordinarily, but they're only giving up one goal per match. Put it all together, they've got a top four goal differential. I think they're in line from early signs to get a Champions League group, uh, group stage berth, and that would be their first in quite a long time. 
Now, uh, tied for second best in scoring on the league so far, it's relatively early in the season, but he's got five already, is the singularly named Beto from Portugal, their young uh, 24-year-old striker, in fact. One wonders if he'll make it through the entire season there because Everton are really keen from over in the Premier League to adding him to their roster. But I think the best player they've got going overall is their Spanish center forward, Gerard uh, Deufo, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce this. Person who, what do you think? D-E-U-L-O-F-E-U. Deulofeu? Or Dulofeu? I, I have no idea. Deulofeu. No, Deulofeu. Sorry, that almost made sense, but not quite. Anyway, he's got six assists on the year. Don't think he's got any goals, which is a little bit odd for a center forward, but he might be playing for more of a deep, uh, kind of a deep lying position. One can wonder as well if he'll make it through the season. Everton have been eyeballing him as well, as have Watford. Team's current form, they have won six straight matches. But now at Atlanta coming to town, looking at Peck, put them back in their place. Uh, they play out of Bergamo, which is in the north central part of Italy. Not that big a city, only about 120,000, but it's part of the greater Milan uh, conurbation, if you will. It's about 25 miles northeast of that city center. Uh, it's really big on uh, banking, retail, industry-related service, financial stuff. This is a well-to-do part of the greater metro. Atalanta, where does the name come from? Well, that is a mythological heroin athlete who is very known, depending on what stories you want to look at, for being a very, very fast runner, or she might have been more known for her hunting, specifically her boar hunting. Either way, she was nearly always attached in stories to uh, the goddess Artemis. And by the way, Atalanta is known as the queen of the provincial clubs. They're the most consistently very good club that is not one of the regional camp capitals. Last trophy they won was also a Serie A-B trophy, 2010-2011. So they've only been here for about the last decade in the top flight. That said, they have made three Champions League appearances in their history. 2020, I believe, was their most recent, certainly was their best. They made the quarterfinals. Also, they've made five Europa League appearances over the years. Last year, they didn't go nowhere internationally. They only finished in eighth place. But this year, they are one of two undefeated teams remaining, the other one being number one in the table, Napoli. And they have done it on the backs of their defense. They're, you know, their offense is okay. It's above average. But the defense is number one. They've only allowed three goals in eight matches. Overall, they've got a top four goal differential. Top four scorer is there's the boast of. He's got four of the season. They is Tayun Koopminers out of the Netherlands. Plays midfield for them. He came over from a, uh, a Dutch league, in fact, Alkmaar, which is currently in second place, by the way, in the Eredivisie over there. Really impressive for them. Uh, Coop Miners, he has made 10 national team appearances. Usually he uh, tends to play more defensively or even some center back. And yet here he is, you know, getting all these goals this year. Kind of an interesting change of pace for him. Team's current form, they have won two straight and both were over very good opponents. So they are on fire. Match number four. And this is where our match selection gets a little bit unique. We never turn down a number one versus number B matchup in any top flight domestic league in the world when the two teams are tied and there are at least a few matches into the season. So 
For example, we will not be looking at any matches in the Europa League or the Europa Conference League later on in this week because we've got to make room for matches like this, and we are happy to. Say hello to the Premier League from Armenia. It's the number 38-ranked UEFA League is all. So that's in the bottom half in Europe, if not by leaps and bounds, but it is up three from a year ago. They'll only get their champion into the Champions League and then send their next best two finishers to the Europa Conference League. This particular matchup features features number B, Ararat, Armenia, and they are taking on number one, Urutu. Urutu are in first place, courtesy of five extra points on goal differential. By the way, the two of them in turn lead Alashkert by just one. So even though it's early in the Western European season, well, really over most of Europe, this is uh, looking like it's going to be a really great race. But for now, that's all I'm going to give you on this particular one, because this is the time of show. We take a pause to try to earn some money. I got to be able to send person new to college, pay the bills. So we want to know how to bet on this thing with our bookie. And for that, we would turn to no, to none other than our 3,500-year-old in-house prognosticator, Noob Stradamus. Is he always right? No. Is he often right? Truth be told, not really. Is he very consistent at all? Perhaps we best not discuss it at all. At least his visions are entertaining. And so, to that end, would you please take it away, almighty soothsayer? Greetings from the Thracian plains of Greece. Here the only autumnal winds make me wish I wore more than a simple if shining silvery white robe. Chilly willy. But the lotus leaf burns hot, thankfully. And you know what it does to the mind. So I once again travel through space and time. I awake high in the sky. But it matters not as I find myself endowed with wings. Stranger still, I stand on the back of a mighty lion. It has no wings. That should seem odd, but I am Kaldi, and I rule this mighty storehouse of weapons and sacrifices. The sword I hold points my gaze far down, and so I recognize the ancient fortress Erebuni below me. Built on the hill Erinburd, it is here to guard the Urartian, now Armenian, northern borders. This could be as early as the 800s BC. That was when the regional king Argishti had it built in my honor. Not all the invading occupants over the centuries heeded my glory, and so none remained in power as long as they'd have liked. Still, it is inhabited, one of the oldest cities to be continuously so through modern times. But where are my counterparts? Thespas, the weather god. Shivini, the sun god. Perhaps they stay away from jealousy. The war worshippers of mine do please me, but I feel lonely without my brethren divine. A mist forms below my feet, and the vision fades. Noob, I awake feeling empty. The fortress lies next to Yerevan, city of the game's home team. 
they shall lose today zero to three in homage to my and my absent fellow ancient gods of this place i have seen and i have spoken match number five we stay in Europe for this one, but head further north where the season is much further along. In fact, 80% of the way through. We're talking about the Allsvenskan Liga, which is the top flight in Sweden. It is the 23rd ranked league in UEFA, so just barely within the top half. Uh, still, just their champion will go to the Champions League, two to the Europa Conference League. Your matchup is another top two. Number one, Jurgarden versus number B, Haken. Uh, Jurgarden currently lead by five on goal differential, and they won when they played earlier this season on the road at Haken, one to two. The series between these two has been all Jurgarden, in fact, in recent years, occurring a 12-5 and nine record. Okay, well, maybe not all Jurgarden, but mostly Jurgarden. And by the way, that is sort of a part of Stockholm. Uh, back in the 1600s when it was built, it's just a fascinating place to me. It was just a few cottages. Uh, built on this uh, island area in the Stockholm area for uh, paralytic and crippled sailors. But today, this area is a giant outdoorsy recreational area for the most part. It's got virtually no residential population. It would be as if you put a team in Orlando, but specifically in Disney World. In fact, within one of Disney's parks, and instead of calling them almost the Orlando team, you called them you know, Disney City, even though it's not really a city. In any case, just fascinating to me. Also, their nickname, although I still haven't figured out why they're called this, they are known as the Iron Stoves. That doesn't sound like the hiking or biking trails or the woods or the amusement park that's there. I have no idea what the connection is. But I can tell you that they've won 12 titles, most recently in 2019. Uh, they've never gotten to the group stage uh, in either the Champions League or the Europa League, though. So yet internationally to make any noise, really. Last year, they finished in third place. This year, second best offense, scoring almost twice per game. And the number one defense in the league, giving up less than one goal per match. And that means they've got the overall number one goal differential. I think they're going to be incredibly tough to beat here at home. Uh, they've got top 10 score playing for them uh, with nine netters on the season. Victor Edvardson, he's their striker. He's also number one in the league in assists. He's got nine. So shut him down and perhaps everything changes. Team's current form, they are 3-0-1 across all competitions of late. And that includes a nil one win over, I can never remember if it's Yent, Ghent, or Gent out of Belgium, but that's in the Europa Conference League tournament, where they're in the group stage now, and halfway through, they are leading their group, so good for them on that. And now Haken, they are known as the Wasps. The club name actually means hedge, and I found out that uh, they are named for the one that grew around the field that they used to play in many, many decades ago. Uh, they play out of the city of Gothenburg now. Uh, 2012, they finished second best in the league, and that is the best that they have ever done. No league titles. That said, they have played internationally, and in fact, last year, uh, they got to participate at the second qualifying round of the Europa Conference League, uh, where they happened to lose. Best they've ever done internationally. They made the third qualifying round, so just shy of the group stage and the Europa League event proper, 2011-2012 for that one. Last year, not much of a season. They finished only in 12th. This year, they didn't turn it around on defense. They were in the bottom half of the league of that for that, but they were the only team in the league that was scoring over two goals per match here in the season, and they've got the third best overall goal differential. Best player they have going, in my opinion, uh, 
and their team leading scorer, uh, actually, I think he's the league leading scorer, come to think of it, with 21, Alexander uh, Yeremieff. It's Jeremy with an I-E and then part of the same name, J-E-F-F. Never seen that one before. He plays forward for them. Give a little perspective on what the levels of play might be like. He played for a very good Division Three team down in Germany, one of your obviously top five leagues in Europe, a team called uh, Dynamo Dresden. Teams current form, they are unbeaten in their last 10, although interestingly, they have had four straight draws. I don't know about you, person new, but it sounds to me like the kitties are working on their sudric. I'm not fluent, but I can recognize it, especially in felines, and I think they're asking for a recap of last week's matches. They shall have it. Match number one last week was a Saturday match from South America, the secondary international club tournament down there. The Copa Soto Mayoracana reached his final. Sao Paulo took on Independiente de Valle, and it was the Brazilians going down in a mild upset to Independiente de Valle. The score was nil two. Lautaro Diaz had the goal for the winners in the 13th minute. Match number B from Australia, the FA Cup final. Second division stars, Sydney United 58, took on MacArthur FC from the A-League, and it was the top flight team. MacArthur getting a 0-2 win. Their star, Al-Hassan Toure, got a penalty. Goal in the 13th minute. Match number three from England's FA Cup, the third qualifying round. The team that we have adopted the last couple three rounds, Ashington from the ninth level. They had to travel to Stock Bridge Park steals from one division up, and they earned a 2-2 draw on the weekend, and that means they got to do a replay at Ashington's place on Tuesday, and Ashington won handily 3-0. Congratulations, and yay us for picking them. You know, why not? Match number four, we stayed in England, but this time headed to the top flight, Premier League. Arsenal taking on Tottenham Hotspur, number one and number three in the English Premier League. League, respectively. Arsenal are still leading the way. They got a 3-1 win. Match number five from Turkey's Superliga. Number one, Adana Demir Spor played host to number B, Galatasaray. They played to an ill-nil draw. The race there is so tight, albeit early on in the season, that that actually caused Adana to drop into second place and knocked Galatasaray down to number four. Match number six from the Premier League of Azerbaijan. Number one, Karabag took on number B, Nefci. And it was Karabag getting a 3-1 win that drops uh, Nepju down into third place. Sunday, match number seven from the NWSL, the end of the regular season. Number seven, Chicago Red Stars took on number eight, Angel City. And Angel City, or no, excuse me, Chicago got a 2-0 win. That allowed them to overtake North Carolina Courage and make the playoffs. Congratulations, Chicago, and to couple of gals that we mentioned, Mallory Q, their star had a goal, and Yuki Nagasato, one of their two uh, strikers or center forwards, that we hadn't been getting a lot of production out of that position, and I'm just going to brag a tiny bit, Yuki said if they're going to win, they got to get a goal out of that position. Now, Mallory Pugh had the only goal, and it was the game winner technically, but you know what? Close enough for horseshoes and hand grenades. Yay them, yay us, yays all around. Match number eight from the Super League of Uzbekistan, number B, Pak Takor took on number one, and it was the road team getting a 0-1 win. Uh, no change in the table. Pak Takor still remains in second place. Wednesday, match number nine for the Champions League in Europe. 
We thought the best looking match was Salzburg versus Dinamo Zagreb. And it was the folks out of Austria. Salzburg getting the win 1-0. They move up to number one in the table. And now Dinamo are in last place. Match number 10, Major League Soccer. Our feature match number seven, Inter-Miami. Took on number six, Orlando. In the Swamp City Derby, where we feel that nobody should have been able to win. But Miami said, hold the phone. Uh, yes, there should be. And we'll do so handily. They won 4-1, to one, basically locking up a playoff spot. And leaving Orlando's spot in doubt. Uh, Gonzalo Higain for Inter-Miami that we said to look for, one of their designated players. He had a brace of goals, and for Orlando, Facundo Torres had an assist. In your route of the week, the first of three bonus matches with explanations will be coming later on in the show. A Saturday match once again from the NWSL. Number 12, last place, New Jersey, New York, Gotham. Play host to number one, Portland Timbers, and the result, quite a shootout, and it ended in a 3-3 draw. That's going to end up costing Portland a supporter shield, I think. Uh, for Gotham, Christy Mewis, that we said to look for, she had an assist. For Portland, Sabia Smith had uh, two goals. Both were right before the half. She's their star. Uh, so Portland finished the regular season in second place. Your most meaningless match in the world was a Monday match from Belize. Number five, Wagia taking on number four, Progresso. Wagia beat Progresso for the second time this season. This time just 1-0 and they switched positions in the table. Still equally meaningless as before. And finally, your match of disappointed from England's Premier League. Last place, number 20, Leicester took on number 19, Nottingham Leicester, they finally got on track and got a 4-0 win. A uh, guy that we said had been having a really bad year, a uh, guy last name of uh, uh, T. Elements, he had a solid match, but it was uh, a guy named James Madison on the win next to him uh, who scored twice and had an assist. Also, their goalkeeper, Danny Ward, he was overdue to have a good game. This was his first clean sheet of the season. Uh, Nottingham Forest best player, Lewis O'Brien, he had a rather weak match. And then uh, the guy that we said was the worst guy on the team. Uh, their cornerback, uh, McKenna, uh, he had the worst match other than the goalkeeper in uh, giving up four. So the two of them switched places in the table. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. No rest for the weekend. Weary, we march right on into Monday and into South America for Paraguay's Primera División, a top two matchup. This is uh, probably, for, for most folks, considered the number uh, three ranked league in all accommodable behind Brazil and Argentina, of course. They're about two-thirds of the way through the Clausura stage, the second of the two stages, the little mini-seasons that most South and Latin American countries tend to divide their soccer year into. The winner of this stage will get to go to the Champions League, or as they call it there, Copa Libertadores. Three total teams at the end of the year will have earned uh, Copa, Liberta Copa Libertadores berths, though. The uh, team with the best aggregate record that did not win either of the two stages will also get to go. And then from this stage, three more teams will get to go to uh, the Copa Sudamericana, or actually three more from the overall aggregate table. In any case, these two teams are clearly looking to skip over the Copa Sudamericana, the secondary international club tournament down there, entirely. Talking about number B, Nacional, taking on number one, Cerro Porteño. Currently is uh, Cerro Porteño that lead by four on goal differential. Yes, yet another one where the two teams are tied. The two of them lead Olympia by seven. So this is really coming down to a two-horse race. Cerro Porteño have enough points between the two stages that uh, it appears 
mathematically that they are going to make the Copa Libertadores. But if they can win the stage, they get to start in the group stage for the Copa Libertadores. Meanwhile, Nacional almost mathematically have enough to win the Clausura, and they have the fourth best record on aggregate. So they do need to win this probably to get to uh, the Copa Libertadores. When they played earlier this season, they played to a nil-nil draw. Here's for hoping for a more exciting match at Nassie and all. The series between these two, the host team have had the advantage, or no, I'm sorry, the visitors. Sarah Platino with a 22, 12, and 14 record over maybe the last, I would say, decade. We'll talk about the host first, Nassie and all. And they're more formally known internationally as Nassie and all Asuncion to differentiate them from all the different clubs in South America and other places that go by Nassie and all. They are a team that plays out of the working class Asuncion neighborhood of Obrero which has just 20,000 people in it, but that's going to be extra interesting for a different reason in just a couple of minutes. Nasty and all, they've got nine league titles. Last one, though, almost a decade ago, 2013, they won one of the stages. Uh, 2014, the very next year, they made the Champions League final, Copa Libertadores, I should say. Uh, so that's the best they've ever done. Uh, 2022 Apertura, so last stage, they finished in sixth place. This stage, they've got the fourth best offense going, getting one and a half goals per match. The defense is even better. They're not giving up a goal per match on average. That is second best in the league for them. And by the way, I say number four on offense, but really the top offenses are very, very close. So that second best goal differential is really more telling. Facundo Bruera, our second Facundo of the broadcast, have a little bit of a theme going. He is uh, tied for top four in scoring in the league with five this stage. Argentinian forward, 24 years old. He's on loan here, interestingly, from a second division team over in Argentina called Atletico Brown. Not sure if he'll be here once the season ends. He may be moving on to Persepolis. They've been showing a lot of interest and could be offering the team some money for him. Team's current form, they are 9-1-0 in their last 10. They have won five straight, and get this, they haven't conceded a single goal in their last five matches. That is getting it done and standing on your head, Mr. Goalie. Sarah Porteño, looking to get one in the back of the net or more. Uh, give you some perspective. They're ranked uh, well outside the top 100 in the world and yet almost in the top 20 of CONMEBOL ranked clubs. That's how dominant, really, the Europe is, essentially. But get this. This team is also based in Asuncion. And not just Asuncion. That's not surprising. It's a big, major city. They also play in Obrero, that little tiny neighborhood. And I think that there might be a Division II team that plays out of this area as well. 34 league titles over the year. This is your mighty historical power from this country. Uh, they last won one not too far back. They won the Clausura stage in 2021. The first stage here this year, they finished in second place. They have made over 40 Copa Libertadores. Uh, Appearances. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say suddenly. Maybe it's because Sarah Potenio have never won one. They've won or they finished in the runner up position something like five or seven times. Uh, most recently was 2011. Uh, this year, tied for second best on offense, but they're the other team that is just superb on defense. We could see another nil nil tie, to be honest. They only give up a goal every other match uh, on average. Tied for number four, though, in, leads, in league scoring is Brian Samudio. Uh, he is a Paraguayan forward for them who spent the longest part of his admittedly somewhat young career with uh, uh, Shakur Rizespor, a Division II team in 
Turkey, which I think is just barely a top 20 league in Europe at this point. And he's also earned 14 national team caps uh, for Paraguay. Team's current form, uh, they are unbeaten in their last nine and have won four straight. Match number seven. Tuesday, we take a break from league action and get back into tournament action, specifically UEFA Women's World Cup qualifying, where they have reached what they are calling the final. I'll explain why that's a bit of an interesting name. So here's what's been going on with Women's World Cup qualifying tournament. They just had the group stage end a short while ago. The winners of the nine groups of, uh, I believe, five teams on average, all got to go on straight to the World Cup for next year. The next nine teams, the second place finishers from these groups, they're going to get to play in little three-team mini tournaments. So the top three second place finishers all get buys, and they are waiting for the winner of these three finals, the one we're going to look at is Scotland versus Ireland. So the bottom second place finishers, the bottom six, have to have to play, had to play an extra game to get to this. The best two performing teams out of these three quote-unquote finals will move on to the World Cup directly. The team that wins but does so least impressively will have to win one more game, what's called an inter-confederation playoff. They'll play some uh, kind of also ran from some other continental confederation for the right to go to the World Cup. I know that's a lot, but let's just say that there's a two in three chance that the winner of this women's match will go on to the World Cup. That makes it easier. Scotland versus Ireland. Scotland get to host. It's just a single leg match. They're going to play it at Hampton Park. The stadium there holds about 51,000. It's in the Mount Florida part of Glasgow. And by the way, the Scottish Women's League is ranked uh, just a little bit inside the top half of UEFA's rankings. They're the 23rd ranked league. and uh, Or rather, no, I'm sorry, not league play. They're the 23rd ranked team in the world by FIFA, and they're ranked number 14 by Europe. We're going to be doing a lot of league games, so I have that on the brain. To get to this game, they beat UEFA's number 12 team, so a little bit of an upset. Austria, they beat them 1-0 and added extra time. They finished uh, in sixth place of the nine group stage finishers that finished all in second place. Five, one, and two was the record in the group stage. They finished way behind number one, Spain, and no shame in that. There's not always a lot of parity in the women's game, and Spain are going to dominate just about everyone, except for maybe France and Germany, just about every time out. England is on the way. Anyway, uh, this team had the second best offense defense in the group stage, but they were giving up over one and a half goals on defense. That's going to be sort of their bugaboo. On the offensive side, they had the fifth best scorer in their group. She got five goals. That is Martha Thomas, their striker, plays for Manchester United over in England. And in fact, she is English born. Uh, interestingly, she actually lived in the U.S. since age five. I wonder if she's got citizenship here and could hypothetically play for the women's national team. She even played her college ball for uh, the University of Charlotte. She's made 17 national team appearances for Scotland since 2020. Another key player, their captain, Rachel Corsi. Uh, she plays for Aston Villa. She is a central defender. She has almost 150 national team appearances, yet I don't think she's even 30 years old. And they've got another defender who has just as many. So they're going to rely heavily on their defense. And uh, NWSL fans, yes, this is the same gal that's played for uh, Kansas City, Utah and Seattle in the past, but now she's back on the other side of the pond. We still do have one active USA connection over there in in Claire uh, Emsali, I think might be how it's pronounced. 
or M. Sile. Not sure. I do know that she plays forward. She is their most experienced player of that position with almost 50 national team appearances. She's got nine goals for them over her career. She's played for Angel. Uh, she played for Angel City earlier this year, or still does rather. She also played for Orlando in the class, played her college ball for Florida Atlantic. 2019 World Cup uh, was this team's very first appearance. They went 0-1-2 when they played in that. They did manage a very impressive 3-3 draw versus Argentina. So if they managed to get to the World Cup, not a ton of international experience there. They didn't even qualify for the 2022 Euros, by the way. 2017 was the only time in the team's history that they qualified for those European championships. And that year they finished in second place in the group with one win and did not advance. Team's current form, they are 2-0-1 in their last three. And now the gals from Ireland who have really been shaking things up over in Europe. Uh, they are currently number 26 worldwide. That's the best ranking they've ever achieved. They're almost up to the top 20 in UEFA, and I have to believe will be easily when the next coefficients come out. They are one of two teams that were drawn out of pot three out of five pots when they were randomly determining who would play. Um, in each of the group stages. So this is one of your lowest seeded teams left alive, along with Bosnia and Herzegovina. They finished in second place in their group, just five points behind Sweden, another one of your top 10 over in Europe. And in fact, they gave Sweden their only blemish with a 1-1 draw. And then in Sweden, they only lost to them nil one on the road. That's really impressive because Sweden pounded the heck out of most of the teams in that group. And they finished as third best of all the second place group finishers, hence the reason that they got a buy and got to wait for Scotland. They too had a 5-2-1 record in the group stage, but a much more impressive goal differential, 26-4, and and yet that was only second best in the group. On the entire event scoring leaderboard was seven, one of their key players. Katie McKay plays winger for them uh, for Arsenal as well over in the Women's Super League in England. She's been one of their captains since 2017 when she was just 21 years old, youngest to ever attain that position for that national team. She's made nearly 70 national team appearances since 2015. And just as an interesting side note, she has got 10 siblings. It almost seems unfair that their family can get all that practice just caravanning around the countryside with their own footy team if they want to. And we do have a professional USA connection over there. There's a couple college players as well, but I'm going to mention Denise O'Sullivan, midfielder who plays for NWSL's North Carolina Courage. She's made almost 100 national team appearances over here and is their most experienced midfielder. She's also played for Houston Dash. And she is, I really want to catch this one on TV if possible, because her nickname is Junkyard. She plays all over the field. And yet she's not running rampant and carelessly. She's very technically gifted and yet very aggressive when she doesn't have the ball. She is excellent at stealing it right back when she's lost it. This team has never made a World Cup appearance or for that matter, a European Championships appearance. 2022 Euros qualifying stage. Uh, they certainly showed some life getting better than a 500 record. They went 4-1-3. and three. Uh, 10 Ten goals conceded over that period wasn't too bad, but their offense needs uh, some boosting. They only got 11 goals over those matches. Need more offense. Team's current form, they have won four straight. Interestingly, those were all 1-0 or 0-1 wins, except for when they played the Republic of Georgia, whom they beat 0-9 on the road. Ouch. Match number eight. We head back to South America now for a match from what Kick Algorithms, a side I like, names 
only the eighth best league out of the 10 in South America, but hey, we go everywhere. This is the Primera División out of Bolivia, where they're about two-thirds of the way through the Clausura stage. Each of the two stage winners get to go to the Copa Libertadores, and I believe those are the only two. And then the next four teams in the aggregate table for the whole year, they'll get to go to the secondary tournament, the Copa Sudamericana, a la the Europa League. Your matchup, number one, the strongest. How can you not love that name? I believe they used to be called Stronger, and so somehow they've gotten stronger still. And they are taking on number B, Bolivar. And hey, you can't argue with that name too hard when they're number one. Uh, now, these two were tied when I scouted the match. Uh, right now, as I'm recording, the strongest lead, Bolivar, by three in the table. So clearly they had a match in hand at that point. But it's still a number one versus number B. Now, in turn, by the way, Bolivar lead always ready by one point, another cool club name. And uh, those three are way ahead of anybody else. Those are your uh, three powers this year and uh, virtually all years, at least recently. And that's all we're going to talk about the match for this particular episode, because noobs late in the podcast. What do we get to feeling person noob? Hungry. Hungry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> noobs need food. <laughs> And I found us a recipe related to uh, Bolivia and specifically uh, the area where the strongest uh, play, and it is called uh, fricasse. Now, what word does that sound like to you that you might know? Frick. <laughs> that's that's a good word. Is the euphemism for the F word? Apparently, you're not. You may not necessarily be familiar with the uh, culinary item that is fricassee or something that is stewed, or simply a stew. And uh, the Bolivian version looks quite delicious. Uh, for your meat, you can use pork, pork ribs, chicken, uh, hominy, which is uh, uh, maize or corn that has been uh, nixtamalized, kind of made somewhat softer. Uh, softer onion pepper, salt, garlic, spices. Uh, oftentimes, and I know person who this wouldn't be your favorite, they'll throw an ahi pepper in there, which is... A uh, pretty medium heat. I'm not. I think it might only be a little bit stronger than a jalapeno. Would that be okay for you? No. No. Yeah. Not into the spicy stuff. But if you'd like to come take a picture of this particular item, the other key item that is very particular to this region and makes it most traditional, come take a look at the picture. Is something called chuño. It is a freeze-dried potato product, and I want you to see what it looks like and what you think of it. And enlarge the picture. They use very, very small potatoes. That looks kind of like number two, <laughs> the rock form. <laughs> very, very good. Yeah, they do look very, very weird. They're incredibly small potatoes. Now, here's the deal uh, with this. In Peru, they would use those fresh, and they would look a little bit better. But for this, the Bolivian version, uh, they use them dried and then ground up. Now, this is said to be a great hangover cure. Person noob, you don't need to know anything about that. Uh, this is the type of stew that is made specifically in the Altiplano region. So uh, up in the colder, higher climes here uh, in and around uh, the Bolivian Andes. Uh, the potatoes used to make this are freeze resistant. So you can leave them out all night, which is not for the traditional method. And then you expose them to the sun. In fact, in other traditions, families will stomp all the water out of them, which also takes off the skins. And then they just leave them outside for a week. So they get super, you know, pretty warm, super cold, pretty warm, super cold, etc. 
So that's a really weird, interesting way to make potatoes, but they last forever. In fact, they can even, uh, without really needing any additional preservation, they can last for decades. And what makes those potatoes as part of this uh, recipe super interesting for this area and a point of pride for them is that the Inca soldiers used to eat these that were in the area and in fact some historians would have you believe that one of the biggest reasons that the Inca Empire rose to the heights that it did was because of these particular kinds of potatoes because the soldiers could carry with them with them indefinitely and always have something to eat that saved you the trouble of necessarily having to have your supply chains or whatever in a military sense. So, fricassee, even uh, pronounced that way and spelled in the Spanish fashion, F-R-I-C-A-S-E, with an accent mark, you can find lots of different ways to make it, but this particular one, which sure sounds, if not quite looks delicious based on the potatoes, could be. Should we try it sometime without the ahi pepper? Maybe, baby. Match number nine. And now back to Europe for perhaps the biggest club tournament of them all. The Champions League group stage is going on. They are now halfway through the double round robins for each of the groups of four teams. A reminder for newer fans that the top two teams from each of these groups will advance to the knockout round. And then the third place finishers, their international season is not done. They will drop down into slots in the knockout round in the Europa League waiting for them. The most intriguing matchup to us looked like it was going to be uh, Bayer Leverkusen versus Porto from Germany and Portugal, respectively. They are tied at three points in the table, and uh, they're also tied with Atletico Madrid for uh, basically not first place. Somehow, Club Bruggy, not a bad team, but certainly wasn't your favorite. They were out of pot four. Uh, in line to finish last on paper. They're in first place with a perfect record. Six points up. They've all but mathematically guaranteed themselves to advance, I think. But we'll be looking at this match uh, because obviously two of these three are not going to go kind of musical chairs with a bad ending for the Europa League. Uh, these two have already played once, and uh, that was at Porto, and Porto won 2-0. As far as the series between them, not too much to go on. Leverkusen have had a slightly 2-1-1. You can catch this on Paramount Plus, as you can oh so many of the Champions League games. This one will be on at 2 o'clock Eastern time. Leverkusen, where this one will be. That's in the west central part of the country. It's a city well over, two, uh, well under rather, 200,000, but it's between Cologne and Dusseldorf. I don't know that it's really a part of the greater metro areas of e either of those, but one certainly thinks of the three together if one is familiar with the area geographically. This is a really interesting club in that they really strive for a super family-friendly atmosphere. Uh, a little bit because of this, they are seen as a quote-unquote plastic club. Uh, in, uh, in Germany, most of the clubs are grassroots, and there's something called a 50 plus 1 rule where basically fans or supporters own a lot of it, or at the very least, nobody else can own more than 49%, I believe, of the club. They're very uh, anti-corporate in that regard. But Bayer Leverkusen, this... Uh, Basically, Leverkusen is a bear city. That's what their economy has largely always been based on. And the team was not created really by the corporation. It was a workers team. And so they very much believe themselves to have just as much of a grassroots or blue collar background as anybody else. And amongst other names, they call themselves, the fans do, the tablet twisters to kind of give themselves a manual labor, blue collar sort of feel. Now, 
on the field. This team has never won the league title. They finished number B a few times. Ooh, almost got that wrong. 2010-2011 uh, was the last time. 2001-2002 season, they were runners-up in the Champion League, Champions League, and they won what is now the Europa League back in 1987-88. So this is a team trying to uh, return to its halcyon or glory days. They qualified for this tournament after finishing in third place last year in the Bundesliga. And they come out of the bottom of pot three. So this is a team that's uh, you would look at and say they're supposed to finish in third place before everything began. They are 1-0-2 oh, right now with a 2-3 and three goal differential. They're going to have to get some more offense if they don't want to drop down to the Europa League or worse. Uh, their one win was against Atletico Madrid. They beat them 2-0 at home. Here in the 2022-23 Bundesliga season, currently they are uh, more or less stinking up the joint. They're in 15th place. Uh, the offense is below average. They are getting almost one and a half points per game, but this is a rather high-scoring league. Uh, the defense, they're starting to get into the territory where they're flirting with uh, giving up two goals per match, and they're down in the bottom handful of teams in that regard. 12th best goal differential, not good. Uh, the best player on the team, in my opinion, and the team's scoring leader with four right now is Jeremy Frimpong from the Netherlands. Oddly enough, he primarily plays right back, although he does do some midfield work as well, which I'm sure is when he's getting his goals. He's just 21 years old. One wonders if this team stays very long, you know, another quartile of the season uh, down near the cellar. If, uh, well, I suppose if they're far enough down, they might keep them to try to keep them afloat in the relegation battle. But if they're more treading water, one wonders if they might not sell him. Man United have certainly been interested over in the Premier League. He actually started his career with Celtic and then spent his youth with Manchester City. So that'd be an interesting get for Manchester United. He's a very accurate shooter, a good dribbler, fair tackler, solid enough passer, just pretty all around, uh, you know, Decent fellow. Oddly enough, even though he's listed as a uh, right back, his defensive stats were pretty just passable at best. Team's current form? Well, they just beat a rather weak team in Germany, Schalke 04, to snap a three-match winless streak. And now, Porto. They are known as the Dragons, and they are the second-best all-time club domestically as far as how much they're decorated, but they have the most trophies and most results in international play out of this country. Now, Porto, if you're not familiar, it's the second biggest city in the country. It's uh, up on the uh, northwest coast. Uh, it's got about, oh, a quarter million people in the city proper, but the metro area is many-fold larger than that. It's a very heavy and heavily industrialized city. Now, two Champions League titles. Last time was pretty much when the Champions League had only just been starting to be called that, the modern era, quote-unquote, 2003-2004. They've won the Europa League twice, most recently 2010-2011. Last year, they made the Champions League group stage, uh, but they uh, lost, or they got, they finished in third in the group stage, got kicked down in the Europa League, where they promptly lost in the round of 16. So they need a road result or they're going to be in line to potentially just have that happen all over again. They are the defending champs, by the way, in the Premier League. That's how they qualified for this one. Uh, they are rated sixth out of the teams that are alive uh, still for this tournament. They also have a 1-0-2 record with a 3-6 and goal differential. So while their opponents today have had uh, the most trouble scoring, I would say for Porto that uh, giving up too many goals has been their problem. So I don't know what to tell you to expect for this one.
As far as how to measure them, let's look at their league play. Here in the current Primera Liga season, they're in second place. Uh, third best offense and defense, so very well balanced. The defense in particular, they're only giving up two goals over three matches on average. Key player to look for for them, tied in for second best in scoring and tied for first place in assists in the league with five and four of each respectively, is their striker from Iran, Mehdi Taremi. So this is another case for uh, the home team where if Leverkusen can keep him bottled up, that might be all they need to do to get a result at home. By the way, I want to mention, because part of the fun with this show is looking at teams just a little bit down the coefficient and looking at these key guys. Even though he's in his mid-late 20s, he's still getting interest from places like the Premier League. Don't be surprised to see him make a move to Arsenal, potentially. Teams current form, they have won three straight with a very shiny eight against one goal differential. And match number 10. We're done. Finally. Yes, finally, Daughter Dearest, and it's taken us all the way to Thursday to make through our main 10 for the podcast. But don't forget, we still have our three super fun bonus matches to go. Uh, Thursday's match number 10 starts us off on a little bit of a darker note, though. Uh, Indonesia's League One, I'm not 100% sure that the match we're looking at is necessarily going to happen. Uh, Their own FA suspended all uh, league activities for the week. Might have even been... uh, all the leagues under their watch across the entire country. I'm not sure, but regardless, League One has certainly been affected. And that's because of the tragedy that happened in Arema last week. A club called Arema FC was hosting a, a derby match. One of the bitter, bitter rivals was in town and they lost two to three. And uh, several thousand fans rushed the pitch right after the game. And uh, the police uh, they employed uh, tear gas. They were getting attacks. That everything was anarchy. They employed that, and that caused uh, fans to panic. And at first, they thought that uh, most or all of these deaths were stampede related. But now, what I'm reading is it might have been purely suffocation. Either way, it's just awful. 125 fans, roughly, uh, uh, died as they were trying to escape the stadium from where the uh, tear gas was being deployed. Uh, When they do resume matches, which may or may not be for this one, I wasn't able to confirm it for sure. Uh, Part of what they're going to do to try to combat these sorts of things with the fans is to start the games earlier in the day. Um, I wouldn't think that alcohol would be uh, such a big issue down there necessarily, but regardless, they're not going to start them any later than 5 p.m. their local time. In any case, Legal One, it is the 25th ranked league in the AFC, puts it right about average. Uh, Their champion will get to go to the AFC Champions League playoff round, so one match shy of the group stage. And then their next two finishers will get to go to the secondary tournament, the AFC Cup, where they will start in the group stage. Uh, Most of the clubs are 10, 11 matches into the season right now. And six teams are within two points of the league. All the matches that I skipped all week long that some of you may well have been aware of are going to be surprised that we picked this one. But the league, you know, with six teams within two points of the league, it was just too good for me to pass up. The one we're going to look at, number three, PSM, where the M stands for, I'm going to pronounce it Makassar, M-A-K-A-S-S-A-R, ticking on number four, Persita. Recent series between them is 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Uh, PSM currently lead Persita by seven in the table on goal differential. Uh, but head-to-head is going to be the tiebreaker, and this is the first of two times that they will meet this season. 
Both of these teams trailed the top two teams in the league by just one point. Uh, let's talk about PSM first. This is the oldest club in the country in over a century, founded in 1915. They rank just inside the top 150 clubs in all of the AFC, according to their own confederation. They've got two really interesting mascots, person. Which of these two do you like better? Uh, they are known as the Red Fish. Doesn't say what kind, just Red Fish. Or Roosters of the East. Roosters. Now, is that because you like roosters or because roosters of the East sounds weird? That's why I like it anyway. Sounds cool. It sounds cool. Roosters of the East. Who else but these guys is adding a directional on top of their uh, poultry-like mascot? I also love their crest, by the way, red and black by and large, uh, with with a uh, really sleek ship that I believe is modeled after a traditional uh, Pinisi, P-I-N-I-S-I ship, which is like an eight-sail rigger that is famously, uh, they all famously dock at this particular port. Now, um, Makassar, or Makassar is the fifth largest city in the country at about one and a half million. Uh, it's the capital of Eastern Indonesia. Uh, my, there's a lot of people, though, this isn't the better part of the country economically, I don't think. So there's a lot of migration westward. So you'll find a lot of these fans in every major metro area or where there happen to be particularly large pockets of people who have moved from eastern Indonesia. So they have fans all over the country, whereas most of the time things are pretty regionalized for when it comes to supporters. Their best legal one finish was second place. They managed that in 2018. They've won five overall league titles. Uh, these were all, I believe, before it was called legal one. They won some titles in the 1950s and 60s, and they won in the 1990s. So if they can even flirt with a title here, other than 2018, I gather that perhaps it's been a while. In fact, I feel like we might have had this team show up in one of our earliest podcast episodes that I think it might have been in a match of Disappointed, which explanation will come on that later. Uh, by the way, 2000-2001, they actually did make the quarterfinal of what is now the Champions League. That's the best they've ever done internationally. This year, they were in the AFC Cup and made it to the regional zonal final for Southeast uh, Asian countries. Last year, they finished in just 14th, so they must have won the FA Cup to be able to get to the AFC Cup. They are the only undefeated team left in the country this season. Uh, and they have a match in hand versus all the teams around them of the <clears throat> six I mentioned, except for the sixth place team, which is uh, Persija or Persia. I'm not sure about the J in there. So the big question is, can they get a result or hopefully a win here? And can they for the long term then keep up with the traditional powerhouse year in, year out? It is always Borneo, which is now known as Borneo uh, Samarinda. They've added on a geographical tag. Uh, the offense they get a lot of offense, but this is an incredibly high-scoring league. They, they score over one and three-quarters goals per match on average, but that only puts them a little bit above average in that regard. Their defense is what is really separating them from other teams. They're second best in that regard, and they've almost got their average down to a goal every other match. So that has them tied for the lead lead on goal differential. Team scoring leader with four so far is Jakob Sayuri, their left winger. He's got three assists to go with those as well. And last year, he even got his first national team appearance. Team's current form, 1-3-0 and in their last four. If they could just sneak out a win or two occasionally instead of all those draws, they'd really have a shot at winning this league. And now, Persita. They play out of a town with kind of a cool name, Tangerang. Hey, poets need something to sort of rhyme with, Boomerang.
Slant Rhyme? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Tangerang is not exactly a city. It's called a regency, which is sort of a district, but not quite. But more importantly to know, it's on the uh, outskirts of the capital, uh, Jakarta. Uh, even though they've lost some of their area geographically to other towns that have been forming in the area, they still have over three and a quarter million people there. I'm kind of embarrassed. I'd never heard of it before. And guess what, person noob? We have another two mascot situation here. See which one you like better. The Sisadane Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. And Sisadane is the name of a river that flows through the town. Or do you prefer the Fierce Roosters? The Fierce Roosters. <laughs> roosters all around for everyone. Roosters of the East versus uh, Fierce Roosters. Can you give me a good rooster sound? I figure you were going to just like shake your head at me now that you're like, you know, now that you're duty. Okay. I see why you decided to go for it now. More poop jokes, 10 years old in your wheelhouse. That's still cool. 2002, they finished in second place in division one. I believe that's the best they've ever done. And then their only champions league appearance in history followed that. Don't gather that they made any noise there last year. They made very little noise at all, finishing in only 12th place. This year, they're decently well-balanced. I don't think this is a team that's going to be able to keep up um, with the others in all of the top six. They've only got the sixth-best goal differential. Uh, they're decently well-balanced. Their, de their defense is – or their their team is well-balanced. The defense is slightly stronger. They're top four in that regard. The bottom line is they give up – they still give up about twice as many as PSM does. There's a real jump in defensive ability once you get to the teams at the very top. On the scoring leaderboard, they've got two guys with five goals each. Romero Ferganzi from Argentina, forward, 33 years old. Interesting thing about where he's from, normally all over Asia and Southeast Asia in particular, uh, you'll find that they use their foreign player slots. There's usually a limited number that they can have in a lot of these countries on each particular team. They'll spend them on Brazilians. But taking a look around um, the league here, it's actually mostly Argentinians, and I don't know exactly why that is, but I find it fascinating. It's probably a good reason. He's a veteran, 33 years old, and the other guy to look out for is uh, Wilden Ramdani, forward, just 23 years old. It would be interesting to see if he can keep up uh, how well he's doing and maybe make a climb you know, over to Japan or South Korea or somewhere in the Middle East and make a little more money. Team's current form, they are 2-1-0 and oh in their last three. Bring forth... The bonus matches! Due to our travel to, from, and around Sword or when we're here, just didn't find myself with the time this particular week to put up the usual polls on Twitter, but find me at Soccer Noob USA to vote in the polls that we usually put up that have the candidate teams for these particular bonus matches. The first one that we have selected for this particular week it's a first versus place matchup for Wednesday that we dramatically call the route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. And we're staying in Asia, heading to Japan for the J1 League. This is considered to be the third best league in Asia. That's down one from a year ago. Three of their teams will get to go to the Champions League on the top end of the table. On the other end, just as many teams will get relegated, get kicked out of the league, uh, and uh, perhaps never to be heard from again. Who knows? And there's just two to three matches to go in the season. Things are more than serious right now for both 
number one, Yokohama F. Marinos. They're taking on last place, Jubilo Iwata. Now, Marinos have almost got the lead title wrapped up. They lead second place, Kawasaki Frontale, by five right now. Uh, Jubilo Iwata, they have four matches to go. They've got a couple games in hand compared to most teams. But they trail number 17, Shimizu S. Pulse, by seven points. They would almost have to run the table and probably need some help to avoid the relegation zone entirely. It was nice knowing you. But, hey, it's the route of the week. We always look for reason, try to look for a, a ray of light, a little bit of hope for why we think that they can win. Now, earlier this season, uh, when they played in Iwata, Marinos won, but only by nil two, not a total blowout. The series between these two doesn't give us uh, doesn't give us much hope for Iwata. Uh, Marinos have accrued a 12-2 and three record the last several years. We'll talk about them first. By the way, uh, so Yokohama, that is the second biggest city in Japan, it's got about four million people uh, over there on the east central coast. It's one of the cities that started trading the, with the west uh, first when they were coming out of uh, sort of their seclusion era in the 1850s. And largely because of the development that happened then, I believe this is the largest port city or does the most port traffic in the country. Footy-wise, they have won four league titles, most recent one 2019, and they are among the best teams historically in the country. They finished in second place in the now Champions League tournament back in 1989 90. I'm surprised that they haven't won it yet after all these years. Uh, they lost this year in the Champions League. Very strangely, they got to play their fellow countrymen club, uh, Visao Kobe, who are in 12th place now and were even in worse position in the league back then. And yet it was Kobe that ended up kicking them out of the Champions League. They met the round of 16 in 2020, but otherwise they pretty much usually enter in and exit right out of the group stage. Last year, they finished second place in the league. Uh, this year, they are the only team in the league scoring over two goals per match, and they've got the best defense to go with that, best goal differential by over 50%. They are really your champions in waiting. Tied for second best in league scoring, playing for them, he's got 11 goals, is Brazilian Aleo Ceará. He plays forward. But I think that their most valuable overall player has been a guy who plays right back, still has three goals and two assists, and that's uh, Ryuta uh, Koike, K-O-I-K-E. Best European club he's ever played for. Maybe the only one was a Division II club over in Belgium called Lokiren. Uh, he's made two national team appearances for Japan, both this year. Uh, for a guy who plays officially you know, on a defensive position, he's a little shy on his tackling, but he is a marvelous passer. Um, he's He got looked at really hard by Celtic last year, but I couldn't find that there's uh, anybody in Europe or anywhere else that's looking real hard at him at the moment. Team's current form, well, they just had a six-match unbeaten streak snapped versus number 16, Gamba Osaka. That was essentially their chance to wrap up the league. But Iwata will probably be fodder for them to do the same this week. Let's see if there's anything in the old notes here to suggest otherwise. Now, Iwata is on the south-central coast of the country. Not that big a city, only about 160,000. Most famously, as you may know, this is the home of the Yamaha Corporation. Otherwise, it's mostly an agricultural area, very much known specifically for its green tea and perhaps even more uh, melons. I don't know exactly what makes the melon unique, but uh, there is a variety that is really that they actually name after the area Iwata Melons. And by the way, before I forget, happieth, 50th, 
happiest, <laughs> happy 50th birthday to the club. Yeah, they were founded in 1972. And belated congratulations, I suppose, while we're at it, on winning the J2 League last year. They just got promoted and. Unfortunately, it looks like they're headed right back down. In fact, they've yo-yoed up and down a couple of times just in the last decade alone. They've actually won three titles in Division I, uh, but that was back in a very brief glory day period between 1996 and 2002. They won what is now the Champions League just a decade before that period, 1988-89 even. Uh, this year, the offense, a fair bit below average, only getting a goal uh, per match, but worse is their defense. They're giving up over a goal and three quarters per match on average. It all adds up to the fact that they've got the worst goal differential of the league by almost uh, a factor of two. There's, We're still looking for that hope, that ray of light, aren't we? <laughs> Best player they have going, let's, let's say it's him. Yuto Suzuki, their right back who likes to play forward, get into deep line positions. He's got six goals and four assists on the year. Uh, not a particularly gifted passer or a guy who participates a lot in the dribbling, to be perfectly honest. And that's strange for a guy that plays some midfield, but he does have a great tackle rate. So I guess that's why he gets listed as a right back. Current form, well, no surprise here. They are winless in their last six, uh, but they did. Here's our ray of light. They earned draws in their last two matches, and those were against the number five and number four teams in the league, respectively. So maybe they're finally starting to find themselves just a little bit. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. More music on our show than probably most soccer podcasts, for better or for worse. And who else in the world is doing a match like the most meaningless one? We have selected a Thursday match back in Bolivia, the Primera División once again. Um, but we mentioned before how many teams from this league were going to get to go to international play. Uh, two of the teams are going to get relegated or potentially face relegation. And these two teams we'll probably not have to worry about any of that because the most meaningless match is one that pits two teams together that are pretty much equidistant from both those ends of the table. We're talking about uh, number 11, Real Tomayapo, and they are playing host to number seven, Jorge Wilstermann. Those are where they are in the table for the Clausura stage uh, in the overall aggregate table, which would help determine whether or not they're actually going to have to face relegation or go to a tournament, they are in 12th and 9th place, respectively. Right now, Jorge Wilstermann trailed number six. That represents the final slot that would get uh, Copa Sudamericana berth. Atletico Palmaflor by nine points. That's a lot to make up with only a third of the season to go. And then uh, Tomeapo, they lead number 15, Real Santa Cruz, by three. Now, that's not very much, but on the other hand, there are several teams in between that they would have to drop down past. And uh, Tomayopo, they currently lead Jorge Wilstermann by five points. That's both in the Clausura table and the overall aggregate table. When they played earlier this season, it was Tomayopo that got the win at Wilstermann, nil two. Series between the two of them recently. Well, those win, uh, that win has been Tomiopo catching up. It's all even at 2-1-2 and two for the last couple of seasons. And we will talk about Real Tomiopo first. I keep mispronouncing my head as Tomiopo. I have been getting the spelling wrong in my notes 
originally before I corrected it. So don't be alarmed if I end up going back and forth. This is a fairly young club. It was only founded in 1999. Uh, they came up after winning Division Two in 2020. So this is an even younger team when you're talking about top flight ball. I think that there is a river in the area named the Tomayate and that that is uh, what the club is named after. What I am more certain of is that the city they play out of is called Tarija. It's got uh, well under 250,000 people. Uh, unlike the Bolivian uh, teams we were looking at before in the Altiplano part of, you know, like the La Paz area up in the mountains, uh, Tarija is in the part of the country that is in the Amazon basin where the temperatures are much milder, milder and it's a lot more humid. Had we done a recipe from here, it likely would have been very different. It's very far in the South central part of the country. And in fact, it's part of a uh, region. I don't know if it was just geographic or also political called upper Peru uh, up until the beginning of the 1800s. Footy wise, 2022 Apertura. Well, the league then was divided into two groups. They're all in one group right now. And uh, Tomayopo finished in dead last in their group, Group B. Uh, in this stage, the Clausura, they're barely scoring over a goal per match. And then their defense even worse. They're giving up one and a half. So they're near the bottom in uh, both those categories. One wonders if they'll slip below most meaningless match status before too long. On the scoring leaderboard for them, trying to keep them afloat with seven goals on the season is Mauricio uh, Chachtour, plays midfielder for them. The team's current form, uh, not so bueno, nil, three, and two in their last five. And now Jorge Wilserman. Uh, this club is known as simply the Aviator, singular. I assume that this was some sort of airplane magnet or perhaps a famous pilot, not really famous or even infamous, the team is actually named for the first commercial aviator passed away working for this particular commercial airline from which the original players formed the team many decades ago. The city they actually play out of is Cochabamba, which is the fourth biggest city in the country, well over 600,000 people there. And because of where they are geographically, um, kind of below the Andes, and in the, or, uh, no, they're uh, more built into the Andes, temperatures are very mild and it's called the city of eternal spring. It's in the central west central part of the country. Now, there's a little bit of a bad connection here to the U.S. Not too long back in their history, I think only about 20 to 25 years, the water rights were sold to a company in uh, some sort of financial company in San Francisco. The International Monetary Fund was going to loan uh, the country a bunch of money or the city a bunch of money, but they said, hey, you've got to sell off a bunch of your public uh, interests and utilities. It was a San Francisco company uh, that bought it up and they jacked up the price on water 50%. There were a lot of protests, some very violent. And this period in this area is known as the Water Wars. Ah, that's a dark note. Let's get back to the footy. 15 league titles this team has won. Last time was the Apertura stage of 2019. Uh, this team's got a bit of good history to it, but you got to go back to the uh, 1950s and 60s and then a little bit again in the 80s to really find their successes. In fact, they made the Copa Libertadores semifinal back in 1981. Uh, in the uh, 2022 Apertura, they were below average as well. They finished in sixth place in their particular group out of, I believe, the eight teams. This year, the defense uh, defense is a fair bit above average, but the defense, uh, they're down at number 11 overall, fairly near the bottom. 
uh, what few goals they are getting, largely at the feet of the singularly named Willie. He is from Brazil, and he has scored four times. He's got a bit of a European resume, but not necessarily teams that even veteran European footy fans would be super familiar with. He's played for Servette, which is a, a yo-yo team in Switzerland. Uh, same status for Apollon Smyrnas out of Greece. Same for Hapoel Irony Kiriat Shimona. Boy, that's a mouthful. Believe it or not, that's all one team. Team's current form, they just beat a team with a very cool name called Blooming, and that snapped a stretch of three straight draws. And for our 13th and final match of the podcast, we're going to pick on a team out of Spain's Segunda Division. They are at the very bottom of the table and playing on Wednesday. Say hello to the fresh heck that is the match of... Disappointed! And yes, person newbie, you'll notice I said heck. I'm trying to remember that you're here and helping out. Keep the language nice and not blue. <laughs> anyway, doesn't matter how many of these teams are uh, getting promoted. What's important is the end of the table where these two sad sack clubs are. Four of the 22 teams will be going down into the third division, which I believe is all regional leagues in Spain. Now, these were the bottom two. I should correct it. Uh, when I scouted it, that was the case. Uh, Leganes have apparently uh, played a game since then, or Leganes. Uh, they are in 20th place. Now, they climbed up one spot, and they are playing host to number 22 in last place, Malaga. Leganes, uh, they lead uh, Malaga by one, and they trail number 18, Lugo, by two. Series between these two, uh, Leganes have had the best of it with a 5-1-2 and two record. Uh, they're part of the greater, greater Southwest Madrid area. They might be something like six miles away from the town center, so not too far. Their actual political area has about 200,000 people in it. 2015-16 through 19-20, I believe, are the only years they have ever played in the top flight in Spain. Highest finish they ever had was only number th uh, 13, up until last year when they finished in 12th. They've got a really interesting, uh, th this isn't a Roosters one person, but you know what their mascot is? You ready for a new Spanish word? Pepperinos. They are known as the Cucumber Farmers. Uh, yes, before the city grew, and I'm sure there's still a lot of this around there, this was largely an agricultural region. Uh, as far as the stats on the field, uh, the defense, not that great. They're uh, a little bit below average, but the offense, they're only getting two goals every three matches on average. That's putting them in the bottom five. And then their overall goal differential is even a little bit worse than that. Rather than tell you who the best player is, well, we like to give the business to these teams. We're going to tell you which of the starters has been playing the worst. The guy that they need to kick in the pants or pantalones is Juan Munoz, he plays center forward for them. He's made nine appearances. I think that's all their games. They're pretty darn close. Yet he's only got one single goal, no assists. Hey, buddy, you're playing up right next to the goal. Kick the ball in. He started his career with Sevilla, decently strong uh, La Liga team. But all the clubs he's been around with since then basically have been yo-yo uh, teams or just flat-out Division II level teams. He's an okay passer. Uh, but to be perfectly honest, he probably passes too much. He's just not getting a lot of shots on goal. Team's current form, they just snapped a four-match winless streak uh, with a pretty nice win, credit where it's due, even though this is the match of Disappointed, um, against number three, Cartagena, one to two on the road. All right, I'll just say it. That's flat-out impressive. Nice job, Farmers of Cucumbers. And now 
Malaga. That is the sixth biggest uh, city in the country, 600,000 people. It's the second largest in uh, the southern Spanish uh, Andalusia region, right uh, behind Seville in population. Uh, this area is known as the birthplace of two of the greatest artists of all time, uh, Pablo Picasso and uh, Antonio Banderas. That's right. I'm a big fan of the actor. Uh, this is a very old city. It, I believe it was originally uh, founded by the Carthaginians. Uh, it's been around since the 8th century BC, I want to say. And if you're ever visiting there, the number one food you've got to try and where you've got to try it, go to one of their beach bars. They're called Ashiringuitos there and try the grilled sardine. That would have been a better nickname then rather than the anchovies for this team. But still fish oriented. It's in the area. 2012-13, uh, they had some international success. They made the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I believe that was after a third-place finish. Uh, but due to their uh, fairly irresponsible ownership the last decade or so, who's uh, probably been stealing money for the club for other business interests, moving around illegally, and for his own personal stuff, uh, a guy from the Middle East has had it since 2010, and he's been under investigation some. Because of all that, the team has really struggled over the last several years. Even got them banned for, uh, from European competitions for one season, and that caused them to miss the Europa League, I believe, in 2014. And this is a team that's been stuck in Division Two for the last four seasons. Last year, they nearly got relegated. They finished in 18th place. This year, they're certainly looking like they could. Uh, tied for number 17 on offense, tied for number 19 on defense. Overall, the worst goal differential of them all. Thusly, in my opinion, making them the worst solid team, or not solid, but solidly the worst team in the league. The worst player they have. It's so nice to see somebody other than the goalkeeper getting picked on. Pablo Herbias, he's a right, uh, right midfielder for them, has yet to score a goal, has not notched an assist. He does nothing but pass. He doesn't even make any other... Uh, defensive contributions. Almost not sure what they're paying him for, quite frankly. Started his career with Real Sociedad, but apparently they realized they had something of a dud on their hands and got rid of him fairly quickly, just as we will get rid of their rid of these two teams fairly quickly, rather than wishing them good luck as we would most other any any other teams here at the end of the show. Instead, we will shoo them away with help in our usual very cross fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. And that'll put a bow on episode 104 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Persa Noob. Thank you very much, as always, to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry, to Dan, the former website Interno Inferno, for all of his creative efforts and inspiration, to my daughter, Person Noob. Mwah. Thank you so much, as always, for doing the show with me, being my travel companion back and forth to Sodor. Yeah, she's taken the jet lag pretty well for uh, being such a tiny tot. And, of course, to you for listening. Thanks so much for finding us. Thanks for listening. We'd be particularly grateful if you would consider passing our name along to your footy-minded friends. We really endeavor to do something unique here, and we hope lots of folks can enjoy that. Until we do it again in a few days, please consider having yourselves a fabulous footy week. Take care. Hey.